0: Hello, free thinkers. I'm Mickey Z, and I welcome you to Post Woke, the New York City based podcast where we practice intellectual self defense.
1: Well, just because you disagree with someone doesn't mean you have to try to ruin their life.
0: That was Scott Gerbner, a respected law professor who has suddenly found himself defending academic freedom from woke censorship. And you will hear a lot more about his story right after this word from our sponsor. Hey, Mickey Z here, and I'm asking you to offer some support for a project that I've been running for nearly six years. It's called Helping Homeless Women NYC. And as the name implies, I've been getting out there on the streets for, like I said, nearly six years to offer direct relief to some of the most vulnerable yet fiercest women you'll ever want to meet. If you check the show notes, you will find a direct link for how to donate at GoFundMe, If you're interested in becoming a Patreon patron or in ordering uh, restaurant gift cards directly from my wish list, shoot me an email and I'll send you that information. But I'm just requesting some support, thanking you in advance and asking you no matter what to please share the link far and wide. Now, let's get back to the show. Picture this. A respected, tenured professor with more than enough credentials to fill several pages is standing in front of his class in a lecture hall when campus security and armed police officers enter the room to escort the professor away in front of his shocked students. But the officials don't even tell him why and still haven't after nearly two months. Is this a Hitchcock movie, a Kafka novel, a life in a nation living under a dictatorship? Nope, this is increasingly becoming the norm within a culture influenced by those practicing exclusion, but calling it inclusion. To learn more about this frightening trend, I'm joined by Professor Scott Gerber, the man who was directly targeted by the mob justice I just described. Scott, welcome to Postwoke.
1: Well, thank you, Mickey. It's an honor to be with you.
0: I'm so glad to have you here. I appreciate it. And, um, If you want, why don't we just jump into the moment that I touched on in the intro where you're doing what comes natural to you. You're you're a teacher. You're a popular teacher. You're um, in front of your your students, and then suddenly your life changes.
1: Correct. Uh, There were three weeks remaining in the semester plus exams. It was April 14th. I was teaching my constitutional law class. And that class runs from noon until one. It was a Friday. And just as the uh, class was wrapping up, multiple campus security officers uh, came into the room, walked down to the front of the room to the podium where I was. And the senior officer leaned in and whispered into my ear, something to the effect of, you're a respected member of the community please follow us to the dean's office. And of course I was confused and scared and I lifted my eyes to the room and the students also looked confused and scared. And so I walked up the stairs, um, to the door to exit the classroom. And there were students in the exit, in the, uh, in the aisle. And I had to do sort of a perp walk through them. And at the top of the stairs, uh, uh, was armed uh, town police, and then they escorted me uh, to the dean's
0: suite. Okay, so I didn't, I didn't give the, na- <laughs> I realized I didn't even give the name of the school. So could we back up and tell where you teach? And when you say town police, which town is that?
1: Okay, I teach at Ohio Northern University. I teach in the law college. And the town is Ada, Ohio, which is a village in West Central Ohio, very rural, very isolated and remote.
0: Okay, so now you have you have this humiliating and frightening experience of being taken out of the classroom with no real explanation, and it's more than ironic that you're teaching constitutional law because obviously they're they're not respecting your rights, and I and I see that the the, the faculty handbook of the school that we're talking about here states that, quote, any alleged cause must be shown to be directly and substantially related to the accused person's fitness as a faculty member, close quote. So at no point did anyone explain to you if there were any charges, accusations, or even reasons for this behavior. Am I correct?
1: Right. To this very day, I still haven't received specifics. Um, When I got into the dean's office, um, and the the dean's suite obviously includes the dean's office. He has a separate big office. And so when I got in there, he handed me a folder, and in the folder was a two-page memo uh, telling me that if I didn't sign um, a release of claims document in seven days, uh, he would institute the dismissal proceedings against me, and I have tenure. And um, I asked him multiple times uh, what I'm alleged to have done and he refused to tell me. And, uh, you know, in the uh, letter itself, it said uh, collegiality, uh, which uh, is just um, a, a, a vague concept for we don't like you kind of thing. And it's not even listed in the faculty handbook as grounds for termination. And so I repeatedly asked him uh, to tell me what I'm accused of doing wrong, and he wouldn't do it. And under the handbook, he was also supposed to have a conversation and a discussion with me so we could try to work it out. And that didn't occur, because how can you have a conversation and a discussion if you're not told what you're accused of doing, and he refuses to talk about it?
0: Wow. So... so- what was what is a release of claims that he wanted you like what claims was he asking you to release at that moment?
1: Uh I wouldn't sue the university.
0: Oh. So he humiliates you basically embarrasses you in front of your class and then without telling you why he's trying to cover his ass right up front basically. Correct. Wow. And so collegiality, he was saying that you were lacking collegiality, was the only stated, quote unquote, reason for this um, behavior taught you.
1: Correct. And there were no specifics. Nothing. Just that word. That's it. <laughs> Literally, just that word.
0: Oh, my goodness. So, so now... I've heard you before on podcasts, and I've read um, I've read articles about you and your GoFundMe page, which we'll definitely get to later. And there, I don't want. I know you can't say this is a hundred percent true, but there are reasons to be suspicious that there is some retaliation um, happening here related to, um, for lack of a better phrase, differing political views um, would you say that's a fair assessment I'm not asking you I know you can't say that's what it is because nobody stated it but you have suspicions right
1: a- absolutely the the timing of it is too coincidental the the uh, the the this occurred on uh, on a Friday on April 14th that Monday um, I had uh, published an op-ed in the hill uh, defending Clarence Thomas's right to have friends even rich ones the week before that I had done a TV interview I have a local um, a monthly TV segment on the local NBC News and um, Ohio was considering uh, Senate bill 83 which is the anti-woke bill and so I talked about that and said that there were valid concerns expressed in the bill uh, because this uh, DeI agenda has drifted into illegality. And so that was the week before. And then the week before that, I had published uh, two op-eds, one in a national newspaper and one in an Ohio newspaper, uh, expressing my similar concerns about the DEI stuff. And so that was the, the most immediate part of it. But previously, I had also expressed concern as vice chair of the university council, which is the equivalent of like vice president of the faculty, about uh, these the DEI initiatives that my university was uh, pushing, and in particular, I I asked that viewpoint diversity be addressed as well, and uh, they said it would not be addressed. And they actually looked mm-hmm. at me like I was from a different planet. That anyone would think there's more than one way to think about something, and I had objected into the in the past to illegal um, hiring uh, practices in the law school and the like, and of course. They didn't like that either. So, uh, you know, I have a lot of experience on the civil rights front because I've been on the Ohio Advisory Committee to the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights since 2008. And as you might know, Mickey, um, by federal statute, the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights has to be balanced in terms of political thought. And so they want that same diversity of viewpoint reflected in the state advisory committees. And so I was asked to join the committee because uh, I think differently than some people do on these sorts of issues.
0: Wow. Yeah. I mean, it should go without saying that no matter where you stand on the ideological spectrum, if you believe in justice, it should be crystal clear that that this type of diversity is part of any um, agenda that is moving towards justice. And just for clarity, DEI is diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives. I'm sure mo- almost all, if not all, the listeners know that, but I just wanted to pop that in there. And quick question before I move Deeper into what you said, you mentioned that you were a vice chair. Is that a and is that elected by other faculty members? How how is a position like that filled?
1: Yeah, I was um, elected by acclamation, i.e., unanimously, um, at the first meeting of the university council during the fall semester, and I was nominated by the prior vice chair. And the reason uh, that I think he thought I would be good and that my colleagues thought I would be good because the year before as um, uh, a sort of a backbencher representative from the law school, I had gotten um, a whistleblower uh, protection policy put into the faculty handbook and the administration was trying to kill that Hmm. as well, but I got it through and I think they uh, admired um, my commitment to, uh, improving the 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 work environment for the faculty, and so they honored me with that position.
0: So, so the folks that that clearly recognized your importance in the school, whether they agree or disagree, they realize the importance. Have they um, shown any solidarity? Spoken up for you? Uh, like, where where did the, your co faculty members come down on something that's happened now, nearly two months ago?
1: Well, I'm banished from the campus, and so um, I can't uh, communicate with them. And I, I also think it's important for the listeners to know that it's a culture of fear at my university, mm. and so the faculty is just terrified. And in fact, you know, in the university council meetings, uh, most of the representatives don't say anything because they're afraid to, because the administration is in the room, and um, so people are afraid. They're afraid that if they speak up, uh, what what happened to me might happen to them.
0: Yeah, they, they, they certainly are trying to make, an, an the uh, administration, I mean, is trying to make an example of you, that if someone with your reputation and tenure could be vulnerable to this, um, it would have a chilling effect on anyone standing up. But obviously, I would sincerely hope that folks will stand up as time comes you know goes by because there is there are things more important than that where you, these, these are fundamental rights now going back to you saying that you you wrote all these different articles and you're you know you're on NBC News all of this is in no way because I'm, I'm asking this because I don't know anything about this when you're when you are a professor on a staff of a university you have complete freedom to express your your you know your First Amendment rights outside of the school in any way that you want, right?
1: Uh, in theory, but in practice, obviously not.
0: Yeah. Okay. So so there's as you're doing this work and expressing opinions that are hard earned and and you have every right to them. That there's no one saying to you, "Oh, they're talking about you. this that you you felt you felt some disagreement, but then it just escalated all of a sudden. there's armed police in your classroom.
1: correct. I was naive enough to think that my record uh, was so strong with tenure on top of that that I could speak freely and i and I do it in a reasonable way. you know, I for example, when I asked for, uh, the DEI uh, officer to also uh, uh, consider um, viewpoint diversity. I said it politely, um, but you can't say it at all. Apparently,
0: well, in practice, at this point now, but I feel I feel confident that people like yourself, who are clearly well versed in this and are not going to back down, um, I I see a lot of this this. the the woke agenda as overplaying their hand. And in a case like this, they went heavy-handed, perhaps like obviously expecting that you would just sign something under duress in, in this after this shocking experience. And from the moment you said no to that, they they may they may begin to realize now they got in over their head. And I certainly hope that's the case. And I just as a side note, I just want to say it's fascinating to me to note that the the agenda that's out there is especially since summer 2020 is built on on the concept of racism being a systemic and institutional issue but when you look at cases like yours around the country what they're doing is not addressing a system or an institution they're they're picking individuals to blame and attack so even if there was a professor out there, specific, specifically teaching students to hate. Removing that person from the system doesn't reform the entire system, but they're coming after people who aren't doing anything wrong as a way to take on an institutional issue, but all they're doing is cherry-picking individuals. And it's it's such a blatant contradiction on their part that either, they, either they're not aware of, of what institutional means, or they're incapable of addressing anything institutional-wise, so they're trying to just make examples of people like you.
1: Yeah, I I think so. And just also let me point out to your listeners, um, I'm not an ideologue. My father was a college professor, and I got into academia because I love ideas. I love interacting with students about ideas, and I love writing and talking about ideas. And I'm a libertarian, and I came to my libertarian views through my research in history, law, and political theory. And so I just came to it that way in, in the appropriate way. And the, the, the students um, uh, uh, enjoy having my classes. I, I go to the, uh, the events uh, sponsored by the Black Law Students Association and support them. And, and they thank me for that. And um, I, I, I wanna hear all sides of it. I, I know what I think. I wanna hear what other people think.
0: Yeah, which is really all that people could do is, is remain open and maintain that curiosity that even when you feel confident in your stance, that it is certainly worthwhile to hear opposing viewpoints because that could develop some nuance and context within your perspective. And it seems it's, it's, it's um, just incredible that they chose you to come after. Now, now you do now, as we as we're talking now, we're coming up on two months since that um, episode in the in the classroom. You do have lawyers representing you. You've had groups like the American Association of University Professors and the Foundation for Indo- Individual Rights and Expression um, defending you. But no one to this date, no one has given you specific allegations. So, where, besides being banished from the campus, where do you stand in terms of? which way to go and like, like what's next for you?
1: Well, um, they're doing what the Dean said they were going to do. They've initiated the, the dismissal process. And so the first stage is some mediation committee Um, and technically, you know, we're not under contract in, in the summer, uh, but I'm being uh, required to participate in that during the summer. And it's clear to me what the university wants is, they want to get me terminated during the summer, so it doesn't happen when people are back on campus. Um, and so that's um, uh, underway. The, the the meeting with the first committee uh, we haven't met yet, but it's it's very difficult to have a constructive mediation session when I don't know what I'm accused of.
0: Yeah, it's I, I find myself like pausing every time you say that because. It's not like this happened last week. Not that that would be a particularly valid excuse, but we're going on two months, and they're just moving forward to with, with get, removing you from the staff without saying anything more than lack of collegiality. Now, there, there are there are, you You gave some examples of what might be, what you really strongly believe is behind this. And there are other hints that this is sort of a personal attack. I've heard you tell this story elsewhere, um, related to a student that, a particular student of yours, who you encouraged who to write a paper that ended up being an award-winning paper. And this student wound up being embarrassed by somebody on the staff, perhaps the Dean, for showing any type of support for you.
1: Yeah, yeah, and thank you for bringing that up, Um, because the student just today texted me a picture of the award ceremony that he attended in Washington, D.C. on Thursday evening, where he was handed a check for $10,000, $5,000 for himself, and then $5,000 for the Ohio Northern University Law School, because the law journal uh, there published the piece, And in terms of the origins of his article, he took my constitutional interpretation seminar in the spring of 2022, and I thought his paper was so good that he should try to get it published. And I've only said that to a student maybe three or four times in my 20-plus years, and his was that good, very original. And at first, he didn't think he'd have a chance. You know, he wasn't on the law review, And so he didn't think he'd have a chance. And I, you know, I I talked to him about it several times. And finally, he submitted and the law review then, in fact, published it. And then um, a couple of weeks ago, he gets notified that he wins this national prize. And uh, then two days uh, before commencement, he's now graduated. Commencement at the law school was May 20th. And of course, I was banished from that, too but there was a barbecue for the students that were going to graduate. And the dean walks up to the student and the student's sitting at a table, eating barbecue with some of his classmates. And he says that I hear you gave $20 to uh, Gerber's GoFundMe page. That's pretty funny. And then the dean pauses and says, well, I guess you owe that to Professor Gerber because he pretty much wrote your paper for you. Hmm. And so, of course, none of that's true. He wrote the paper. I thought the paper was a marvelous paper. I encouraged him to try to publish it. It got published. And so the dean then denigrates the proudest academic achievement in, in this young man's life and essentially accuses the young man of cheating, plagiarism, that kind of thing. All because the young man chipped in $20 because he thought, what was being done to me was
0: inappropriate. Wow! Like, what an indication of like, that! Like, tell me that you're doing something personal without saying I'm doing something personal. I mean, they, they, there was just absolutely no reason for that. And your in your experience with this dean, has he sh- it shown indication of being this petty and vindictive about something? Because it seems, it, it seems to me, I'm I'm not at all related to anything academic. It seems to me. Uh, relatively astonishing that someone would, would do that in public.
1: Yeah. um, Someone filed a complaint about it. And um, the president has referred it to human resources. You know, personally, I think the president should have met personally with the dean and just read him the riot act. And given, you know, the, the problems he's caused the university by doing what he's done to me, And then uh, some of the other things I'm about to mention to you, Uh, the person that filed the complaint told the president uh, that the dean has a problem with his, quote, mouth. And what the person meant by that is the dean has a history of making bigoted comments about people. For example, at the opening uh, university uh, event a few years ago, he was introducing our new uh, law admissions director, and she was pregnant at the time. And he said, that's the most pregnant woman I've ever seen. (laughs) He he was then introducing a circulation uh, librarian and he said, uh, he's not as old as he looks. Uh, He then was introducing a Hispanic guest speaker we had at the law school who had clerked for a prominent Hispanic um, federal judge. He mangled the federal judge's name and then the dean said, quote, not bad for a white guy, you know, things like that. And it's like 10 or 12. And one of the more recent ones was he put on a rap song, I'm told, in evidence class, pointed to an African-American male student in the class and said, that one's for you. Things like that.
0: Wow, that that sounds like lack of Collegiality, to me, uh, grounds for dismissal, right, according to his own rules. It, it, uh, I'm glad this stuff is being made public because it's it's crystal clear. I'll go back and say the same thing. He has overplayed his hand, and you mentioned the young man donating to the GoFundMe. So why don't we take a minute here um, to explain in the show notes for this episode, anyone listening who wants to support you, there will be a direct link to your GoFundMe, and any and all donations will be greatly um, appreciated. But tell us more about what's going on legally and how that got started with the GoFundMe. Well,
1: I don't do social media. I ha- I don't have Twitter, don't have Facebook, don't have any of that. Uh, but, a friend, but, <laughs> but a friend of mine started it, and he barely does it. He has like 25 followers. And so I- I'm told that you have to tweet these things out or post them on Facebook for it to get any traction. Um, but my friend's trying and, and actually Michelle Tafoya, to show how nice a person she is, she actually tweeted it. And so uh, if you, uh, if you Google like uh, Scott Gerber or legal fund, it'll come right out. And you kindly said, you're going to post it. Um, and And so it's for my legal defense because lawyers cost money. And the university uh, has a lot more money than me. They, of course, the dean, for example, isn't going to have to pay uh, for this out of his own pocket. They're going to use the alumni contributions and the student tuition dollars to, uh, you know, try to protect the administrators from their bad behavior. So it's kind of a David and Goliath thing, and that's what they count on. They count on just grounding the person into the ground, and so. Um, I'm, I'm just trying to uh, um, raise some money to pay lawyers.
0: Well, considering how David and Goliath turned out, I hope you're right, because it looks like somebody's going to get hit dead center in the forehead here. But um, I want to point out that if people, anyone listening who, for some, you know, we just told a story about a young man donating and being... Um, denigrated for it. I know enough about GoFundMe to know that you can donate and click a, bu- a button that says, um, list me as anonymous. So if people people want to support you, but let's say they have um, personal reasons why they don't want their name attached to any particular case, GoFundMe has that covered. So I, I urge people listening that if what Uh, Scott's has said so far has moved you and in the bigger picture if you just want to strike a blow for for academic freedom this is a great start here and i also want to second your opinion of michelle Tafoya. i had the honor of interviewing her and being on her show also and she is absolutely awesome so so uh that i couldn't agree with that more so now at the point you're at now where you're not working, there is, you still don't have charges. There's some uncertainty as to what's going to happen. How are you doing? You know, uh, how is your, is your, you have a book coming out soon. Like what's your life like with all these sudden changes happening?
1: Um, It's, it's very difficult. You know, I'm a human being and they're trying to end my career and, uh, you know, uh, one of the articles that was written about this in front page made a, I think, a really important point. People that become professors spend a lot of time, go to school for a long time and things like that uh, to, to get a chance to do that. And they don't care. They're just trying to uh, ruin my life because I don't agree with them on the DEI things and uh, the like and so it's difficult. It affects my sleeping. Um, and, you know, it's it's like a stigma. I'm a, I'm a private person. And my whole life is now out in the public. I mean, uh, I, the Wall Street Journal found out about it. And so the Wall Street Journal asked me to uh, consider writing a piece. And so I wrote the piece because that's the most important non-left newspaper in the world. And you know, they decided to publish it because I thought that they, they must have thought it was well-written, but they also wanted documentation to support the back, the factual claims I made in there. And they, they, I provided those. And, and so I, as I said to Michelle Tefoy, never in my wildest dreams did I ever thought, think that I would be interviewed by someone like her, you know, because I used to watch, uh, the the, the the Monday night and Sunday night football broadcast and of course I knew who she Absolutely. was from that. Yeah, yeah. But there yeah. I was sitting there. <laughs> it was it was surreal. It really
0: was. I can only imagine. It, it feels from where I'm sitting, listening to you, that you've been um, unexpectedly chosen to be one of the the figureheads in this battle against intolerance and thought policing, because I will say this again, if you, anyone listening to this who is a proponent of DEI, you should be outraged at at the way Scott is being treated. This is not about any particular issue. It's about freedom. It's about it's about tolerance. It's about diversity of viewpoints, to use the phrase that you mentioned at the beginning of the show. And people don't have to, um if people can donate to a GoFundMe with without agreeing with everything you say, because that's no one has to march in lockstep. I'm sure if you and I exchanged our writings over the years, we would each find several cases where we disagree with each other. That's to be expected. And it's also, as you mentioned earlier, a way to learn and a way to learn more about what's happening out there. So I, I really, really hope that people, um, regardless of where they stand, can understand that the the fundamental issue here is uh, ac- not just academic freedom; it's a, it's about freedom. We need to have a diversity of viewpoints in order to have a, a functioning country. And you've been this; you've been sort of an unexpectedly chosen to be a, a figurehead and a leader in this. So I I don't I don't say that to invalidate the emotional. Um, impact it must have on you, but just to encourage you that you know this this is a, an opportunity. You have a, you seem to have a very calm demeanor, very logical talking about it without attacking anybody, and it, perhaps you are the ideal person to be out there writing in the Wall Street Journal. and And let's see as this as this procedure moves forward, you might have a lot more. Um, Coverage, which I hope inspires people to think twice about what's happening.
1: Well, well, thank you for for saying that, and and I'll say that one thing that's uh, kind of kept me uh, afloat is I have gotten um, emails and and the like from people I don't even know, um, you know, in particular from the Wall Street Journal uh, article because that you know that the readership of that is just enormous. Yeah. And people I don't even know were reaching out to me and supporting me. And Michelle Tafoya said that's why she wanted me on the show. But in terms of your uh, important point, that even if uh, the listener and I don't agree on certain things, that, uh, that doesn't mean that, um, that people can't understand where I'm coming from. And I'll give you uh, a pertinent example of that. Randall Kennedy who's a prominent law professor at Harvard. And he's on the left. He's an African-American superstar at Harvard Law School. I've never met Randall Kennedy. Um, He wrote the dean of the law school a letter. And I'm on the con law professor's discussion list. And um, apparently he is too. And he, someone had posted the Wall Street Journal thing on there. David Bernstein at George Mason had posted it. And Randall Kennedy read it. And so Randall Kennedy uh, uh, put a post on the on the listserv, on the con law listed subject. I'm going to send this letter in two hours to the dean at Ohio Northern University. Anyone else that wants to sign on, you got two hours to do it because I'm then sending it. And if people want to read what he wrote, go to the GoFundMe page, click on the, the read more and you'll see his thing. But um, for someone like that, to come to my defense because of the principle of the thing. I've received no due process, no due process at all. Um, and that's why I called the uh, op-ed in the Wall Street Journal uh, Kafka. Kafka comes to my law school because as you know from the the, the novel, The Trial, Kafka is never told, or the main character, Joseph Kay, is never told what he did. And they end up literally killing the man without him ever knowing what he did. And that's what they're trying to do to me.
0: Uh, Well, thank you for sharing that, because that is the type of story that that should inspire people. I'm not familiar with Randall Kennedy, but I'm now a, an admirer of his that, that he took immediate action and tried to marshal as many, um, uh, co- as much collective support as he could, regardless of your differences. And because he sees you as a colleague, and he also sees this as, as an, uh, like you said, no due process. The words no due process should send a chill down the spine of anyone who believes in freedom and justice regardless of whether they uh what their political leanings are and and i'm really really glad to hear that and just as a quick side note when you say con law listserv, listserv is that constitutional law
1: yes sir it's called con law profs it's it's um a a a, a listserv for professors of constitutional law and it's moderated by mark scarberry at uh, Pepperdine it was started by Eugene Bollock of the Bollock conspiracy blog fame years ago and Mark is now the moderator of it um, and lots of professors are on it and apparently uh Professor Kennedy was on it and he's a superstar he was a Rhodes Scholar he has tenure at Harvard Law School things like that
0: very there you prolific go. there yeah. you go like it, it's it's I'm um I'm sorry that you are dealing with this madness, but it it may be creating connections and awakenings that couldn't have happened without this. So, as we begin to wrap up here, um, we to, I want to remind people about the GoFundMe. Would you in any closing statement, besides support you know, sharing the articles, if you go to the GoFundMe, there's a lot of information there that people can share, besides donating to your legal fund, what would you say to listeners, everyday people who just want to live in a world where there is more freedom of discussion, diversity of viewpoint, and more overall tolerance? Like as someone who's been in the law field for a long time, what would be your closing thoughts of saying to people that we can do in everyday life to to, uh, improve a situation that has gotten clearly out of control.
1: Well, just because you disagree with someone doesn't mean you have to try to ruin their
0: life. (laughs) Amen to that. I'll be back with some closing thoughts after one more word from our sponsor. Hey, Mickey Z here. I trust you're enjoying this episode, but I wanted to take a quick break to request that you seriously consider becoming a paid subscriber to PostWoke, because PostWoke is more than this podcast, which is a weekly podcast with crucial, important conversations with crucial and important guests. Woke is also a sub-stack on which I post on a daily basis. I'm talking about written posts. And I, first and foremost, I am a writer. I have 12 books out, and I have been writing for many decades. And so you are getting quality content at least once a day, all for $5 a month. And no matter what you decide, you can become a free subscriber if you choose. I ask you to please share the link and spread the word. And while you're at it, Check the show notes for information on how to order the post-woke t-shirt. It is a completely cool, kick-ass shirt, and you could show the world what your favorite podcast and sub-stack is. So I thank you in advance for your support. Again, I urge you to spread the word, and let's get back to the show. I want to again thank... Professor Scott Gerber for stopping by with a great conversation. And in light of that conversation, I just want to say that there are people all across the political spectrum today practicing exclusion but calling it inclusion. And it's, it's a tricky balance because you're allowed to have viewpoints that you strongly disagree with. That should be what we're allowed to do. But when that drifts into silencing, censorship, and exclusion, we are entering into very, very dangerous territory. So whenever discussing these topics, I implore you to take a step back, really check yourself, and keep your guard up.